Association this morning. What what do you think of? Allergies, Charlie Brown, butter, peanut butter. Great. Okay. Next. Word association. I'll throw this up. Just give me what you get. Really? Packers? Bay Beach? Right? Krolls? No? Okay. That's okay. Amazing. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what were they? What else? Spider-Man. I didn't hear Grace when I was writing this out. I'm like, everyone will say Grace. Did you say Grace? You said Grace? You said Grace. Okay. All right. Um, don't worry. There's no prizes for these, but it's... Uh, so, um, what do you think of? <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I know you're transitioning to a real point. <laughs> right? I heard it. Whale. Nineveh. Anyone else? Fish. Thought of? Yeah. So, as a kid, oh, I, um, next week. So, as a kid, I don't know if you, how you grew up or your story or your backstory. Um, the next six weeks, and actually in writing this this morning, it may go a smidge longer than that, but um, in my mind, we're going to be in the book of Jonah for six weeks. I don't know how you grew up with the stories of the Bible. The thing about the stories, especially the stories of the Old Testament, is they're very, um, in one sense, they're very entry-friendly. Wherever you are, whatever age you are, whatever your background, you can start with one of the stories of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, we could have put David and, and then you would have said probably not Bathsheba, you just Goliath, David and Goliath. Um, and in, Or we could say Noah and, and, and we'd say, well, the ark. We wouldn't say vineyard, or we wouldn't say something interesting in a tent, or there's there's things that we have that we think about when Rachel, could you turn me down just a smidge? Maybe it's not loud, but it's I um, um, thanks. So there's some things that we think about when we hear these old stories, especially if you've been around the church for a while. Um, there are areas of the Bible that are familiar, and in the same way that uh, it's difficult to come into a story with fresh eyes that you're familiar with. This happens in these stories in the Bible, uh, especially the story of Jonah. Anyone have this book as a kid or any of the old Arch books? I think they're published, um, publishing house over in Minnesota, which means it's Lutheran. Um, and I grew up on these Arch books. And so as a kid, we had a milk crate of Arch books um, that actually my mom saved and gave to me. I've got them at home. Um, but this one, this was one that, that we read often. The way it worked in my house was the, the day would wind down. My older brother and my younger brother, when we were really little, we all shared one room. And either my mom or my dad would come in at the end of the day, probably just like your house. And, and, and it was, as we were getting tucked in, as we were winding down, the question was posed to one of us, grab one of the books, let's, do, let's read one of the Bible storybooks tonight. And so every night that was kind of the thing, and we'd, we'd go through the books. And, and looking at them now as an adult, it's interesting on how many of those are Old Testament stories. But we would go through the books, 
And actually, these are the books. If you've been around Water City for a while or dug in on the um, on our YouTube uh, channel, like and subscribe, uh, that you could see in the kids area uh, during the pandemic, we actually used these books as um, as uh, a way to tell the stories of the Bible for the kids online. And it wasn't perfect, but it's what we did. Anyway, those were my storybooks as a kid growing up. And so my folks would say, pick a book, pick a story, and we'd, we'd go through and we'd pick one and then they'd read one. And they were all pretty much the same length. And so there was no like, I'm going to pick the longer one so that we can stall. No parents, if you have those kids, you could pick any book. And they're like, here, this chapter book. That's not what I was thinking for a bedtime. But so anyway, so we would go through these. Now, the, the beauty in that for me personally is that in going through these stories over and over and over and over is they got into a deep place in me and shaped who I was, who I am. And oftentimes I come to a story in the Bible and my brain's going through these pictures that are in there. I can picture the sower sowing the seeds and what the actual seeds look like with their little arms and legs and smiley faces before veggie tails. Um, that's that's where my imagination goes on these things. And that's not a good or a bad thing, but it's a difficult thing in that when we see, and maybe this week you saw when we put out the graphic, we're going to be going through Jonah, or I was speaking with you, I'm like, I think we're going to do a series in Jonah. Maybe your brain did what that word association we did in the beginning, which was when I say Jonah, what do you think of? And it's the fish. Or it's the whale. And um, as we go through these series, just a couple um, resources that I wanted to point out. Um, one of them is this book by Tim Keller, uh, and it's called The Prodigal Prophet. Is a fantastic read uh, that uh, if you want to kind of dig in and go on this, I'm going to be drawing some stuff out of this as we go, but not all of it. And so um, this is one that I would encourage for you to pick up and read. And then if you're like really nerdy and wanted to go in, um, the New International Commentary on the Old Testament, this is Leslie Allen, um, and this is Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah, the Minor Prophets. And so this is, this is phenomenal in, uh, um, in probably not necessarily something you're going to pick up, but just uh, for me, those are always fun things to point out and say, hey, if you want to go in deeper on this. And so one of the troubles, especially of Jonah, is this, is that as soon as we, we go, let's turn to the book of Jonah, let's talk about Jonah, our brain goes to the fish. Depending on where you're at with faith, this is either one of those stories that we go, oh my word. Or it's one of those stories that we go, yeah, I can't wait to get into this. Or it's one of those stories that we have like uh, memories of from when we were a kid with the flannel boards, right? And the big fish would come over and then Jonah would go down and the ship and the whatever. And it's interesting in the story of Jonah, the fish, even though if we were to like, and I did this, but I didn't put it in because I didn't think it was that interesting. But if you do a Google image search, you just put in Jonah. You're going to get a couple Jonah Hills, but you're mostly going to get pictures of Jonah. In the pictures of Jonah, you're going to get maybe their books, but it's probably clip art and art. It's always Jonah and a fish. It's always Jonah and the whale. Um, and, and Why? Because this is the thing, and we all know what clickbaiting is, right? Man, I really, 
need, I wonder what that information is. They're gonna, and, and you get the thumbnail of the thing. And, and the thing that we hate is that you know if you click on that thing, it's not going to have anything to do about with that. It's, it's, a, it's a reaction shot from Mr. Beast. And he wants you to really click on that so that you can see it. And, and in reality, you could take all of those thumbnails and it's like 10 shots and he just keeps reusing them. Oh, my word. Maybe that's just in my house. Some of you are like, Mr. Beast, what in the world is that? You're blessed. You don't know. So anyway, we live in a clickbait culture. We, we live in a thumbnail culture. If I can just give you the information, in a, then you know what it is. In all of these, whether good or bad or otherwise, this is, this is to go Jonah and the whale is a clickbait. Now, we're not going to go all the way in on this. There's this part of me that's like, this is going to be so much fun. I'm so excited to do this series. I can't even tell you. One of the reasons I'm so excited to do this series is, is that we need to uh, move the story of the book of Jonah away from VeggieTales. And the reason for that is, is this is a great story that we tell our kids or that has something like this. The reality is the story of the book of Jonah is not a kid's story. It's not a kid's story at all. Listen to this from the opening of the prodigal prophet from Tim Keller. He says, this is the, the, if you turn to intro, this is where you start. Like most people raised in a church going home, I have been aware of the story of Jonah since childhood. As a minister who teaches the Bible, however, I've gone through several stages of puzzlement and wonder at this short book. The number of themes is a challenge for the interpreter. It seems to be about so many things. Is it about race and nationalism? Since Jonah seems to be more concerned over his nation's military security than over the city of spiritually lost people? Is it about God's call to mission? Since Jonah at first flees from the call and later goes on but actually regrets it. Is it about the struggles believers have to obey and trust in God? Yes, to all those and more. A mountain of scholarship exists about the book of Jonah that reveals the richness of the story and many layers of meaning and the varied application of it to so much of human life and thought. So if I were to say what's the main theme of the book of Jonah, what would you say? Or what have you heard as the main theme of the book of Jonah? Let's let's uh, back it off a little bit on that. Obedience to God? Sure. Yep. Is that yours? Yep. Repentance? Conversion? Yeah. Punishment? I can't say fish. You've already picked on fish. Sounds like fish isn't safe. <laughs> How many are like, man, we're in Jonah. Couldn't we be in Obadiah or Micah or Joel? Couldn't we do like Genesis? Jay, you'll, you, you always keep teasing Genesis. Let's do Genesis. After we get through Jonah, you might wonder, or you, you might, <laughs> that's why we don't do Genesis. Well, let's do, let's do Revelation. Let's do 1 Corinthians. Let's do one of the Gospels. Why Jonah? Jonah is Sunday school. Jonah's downstairs. I went into Hobby Lobby this week. I do go in there, even though I make fun of it. I went into Hobby Lobby this week, 
and I walk back into there. They have a great nautical section. Have any of you noticed that in Hobby Lobby? It's like, it's, I don't know if, what it is, but there's like the cowboy section, and you go in, and you're like, I need a six-shooter. And then you just turn three inches, and you're like, oh, my word, I'm, I'm on the beach now, and I need a life preserver. And a, they had a whale, okay? They had a whale in there, and it was about this big, and it was beautiful, and it was wood, and it was distressed in all the right water city ways. And I'm like, I'm going to buy that whale, and then we're going to make it the anti-theme of the whole thing. I'm like, no, nah, that's not in the budget. I shouldn't do that. But I should, and I walked around for a while and had this debate with myself. And then I'm like, Jay, it's not about the fish. So we left it there. So anyway, if you're looking for a fish for your porch or a whale, Hobby Lobby has a really cool one. Jonah's not about the fish. Jonah's not about the fish. In fact, we're going to look at Jonah. Um, Jonah is, is unlike any book in literally the entire Bible. Jonah is unique in its message. It's unique in its voice. It's unique in its genre. And so over the next six weeks, what we're going to do is this. We're going to do deep dives in. Hopefully it's not going to be a lecture. Hopefully this morning doesn't feel like day one of some lecture at, in, at university. But on the flip of that, we can't do justice to the book of Jonah without context, without literary uh, looking at the, the, the literary genre of the book. That one might be new to you. I don't want any of this to come across like somehow this is hidden. Boy, if you would just have a seminary degree, you could get it. I don't have a seminary degree. My degree is student ministry. I learned how to play Chubby Bunny for $50,000 at college and how to lead kids to play a little bit more than that. But when it comes to these things, it's like, I don't know, we didn't get into that. I don't want to come across in a way that, man, if you were just a bit more advanced or a bit more mature or a bit more learned or a bit more academic or a bit more whatever, then you could really get this. Because the reality is, is you can get the message of the book of Jonah even on a first read without a commentary, without uh, a Bible dictionary, without uh, uh, maps at the end of your book, without an understanding of the nuance of the ancient Near East, without knowing anything about the Assyrian Empire or the Babylonian Empire that overthrew it, without knowing anything about the divided kingdoms, without knowing anything about most all of the prophets who are speaking against the northern kingdoms are prophets from the south, and their message might be influenced because they're from the south speaking to the north without knowing anything about genre, without any of those things. And so right from going this, I don't title messages because I'm not good at thinking that way. But if this message had a title, it would be Jonah Beginnings. And so um, here's, here's my thing in this. And, and it, the reason I said if you wanted a thing, grab a thing, is um, some of you have developed the discipline or the habit of, of taking notes. Maybe you grew up in a church that had fill-in-the-blanks um, or, or a whatever. You're just a student. In, in your studier, in your whatever. Awesome. So as we go through this, we're going to go into the weeds in a couple places on this. We're actually going to go pretty far into the weeds on a couple places in this. Um, and and it, 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 we'll bring it in together, not necessarily this morning, but as we go through this. And at the, the end of this, we're, we're going to do this thing together and this is, this is really hoity-toity. I don't mean it to be hoity-toity, but it's, uh, we're going to do a docare. 
And what this is, Meg's not here, so I can get away with it. It's Latin to teach. So if we were British, I could say we're going to do a tutorial session at the end of this. And the, what a tutorial session is, is it's this Oxford method of teaching. If you're a student of the life of C.S. Lewis, you know that he was a don of literature. He wanted to teach philosophy. That didn't work out. He actually was a literature teacher. And if you were a student, like, of Professor Lewis, you would go to a class. It wouldn't be a giant lecture hall like we think of. It would be uh, some tables and a whiteboard or a chalkboard in his day and maybe just three or eight students dig in on a thing, discussion, read an article, talk about the article, present a thing, less lecture information, more of conversation, small group. But saying things like, we're going to do a small group after we get through this sermon series, or we're going to, whatever, it didn't have, so what we're going to do is, at the end of this, so November 6th, it's 6.30 here. We'll, we'll have coffee on. Um, and I'm sure somebody will be inspired and bring bars or, or something like that. Um, we're just going to get together with our notes and go, what? what? And so dig in on things. And, and I'm going to have a binder with all my notes from all the messages. And, and, and we're going to come with our stuff. So you'll come with your either your journal from the notes you took or the questions you had or, or, or the, the struggles. Because listen, we're going to get into this with Jonah. We're going to get into it. Here, what, do you, what do you mean by that, Jay? Um, you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus, in the miraculous, in the, uh, you, the way I would say it is um, scholarship, on the book of Jonah, we're going to unpack this more later. Sorry, this feels like just like reading the introduction. I'm sorry, but it'll make sense in a bit, hopefully. You can be an orthodox, Bible-believing, inspired word of God, Jesus, born of a virgin Mary, fed 5,000 in real life, walked on the water in real life, died on a cross in real life, was buried in in a tomb for multiple days in real life, and then raised to life in real life. Believing that God's word is inspired, that is authoritative. We're going to take a look at that word in a couple weeks. And have a different view on what the book of Jonah is. And so, for some, the book of Jonah is history. It's a history book. It's full of dates. Actually, it's not. It's full of kingdoms. Actually, it is. It's full of places. It's full of movement. It's full of stuff you can draw on a map. It's history. We're going to take a look at that. In, 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 is it history? For some, it's prophecy. We're going to take a look at. If it's prophecy, it's the weirdest prophecy, book of prophecy there is. Because the actual oracle of God through the prophet Jonah is only five words in the original language. So it's not like any of the other books of prophecy. And more than just that, it's unlike any of the other books of prophecy for a lot of reasons. Or you can read the book of Jonah. <clears throat> shouldn't do this, but we're going to. Is as parable. Oh my goodness. Because as soon as we 
we do that, then Jonah becomes the litmus test of either the fish was literal, a real fish that God made, that he sustained somebody in it for three days, or it's fiction. And in our Western culture, only fact, literal history has uh, authority. Parable, fiction, not something that happened, but a story that's told. What do you do if you want to lovingly let somebody know you don't believe them? You call them a storyteller. So-and-so is a storyteller. People aren't liars anymore. They're storytellers. And there's this negative connotation with that. But there's some of you in the room, you, you literally get paid because you're a storyteller. And that's a, that's a thing through this uh, reading of Jonah that I want to recapture. People ask me sometimes, what do you do as a pastor? And I say I'm a storyteller. One of the core values of Water City Church is story. There's a giant chunk of the Bible that is narrative and story. Now, I'm not going to say what it is or what we need to believe that it is, but maybe this is making a little bit of sense in that my, my originally I just wanted to, in my first draft on this was just a fire hose of like, here's all the stuff of Jonah. There, now let's get into the themes. And it was like, the more that was, I don't think that's helpful. Um, but this is also going to be a series where it's like some things got said in there and what's that and let's go deeper in on that and I have a question about this and it reminded me of that and let's do this. And so in that setting, I'm going to take off my pastor hat and it's just going to be, we're just going to dialogue and and have fun together. Okay, is that cool? All right, so we're fine on time. Um, Packers don't play till seven and the Lions are already losing. So... um, (laughs) So anyway, so that's November 6th, and we're going to do that, okay? Okay. But then the other reason for this is this, page two. (laughs) The psalmist in Psalm 143, verse 5 says this, I will remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider all your hands have done. Now, we don't have time to unpack all the way Psalm 145, but if this week you wanted to dig in on this, Psalm 145 is one of those psalms. It's attributed to David, and it's a psalm when he is in a place of turmoil and uh, being attacked from uh, enemies outside him. Yes, he's the king of Israel, and he's, uh, you know, you think glory days, King David, but he took so many attacks and so much uh, just against him, that there is a giant uh, amount of the poetry of the Psalms and the prayer of the Psalms and the songs of the Psalms that are one of the psalmists saying, God, I don't know what to do. They're against me. They're attacking me. They're pressing me. They're giving false witness against me. They're, God, I, I, if not you, then nothing. And this is one of King David. He's in that place. It it kind of begins, he says, Lord, if you forget me, what's the point of any of this? But then as he gets into this prayer, he gets to this place. And he says, I will remember the days of long ago. Now you could go a lot of ways with that. The days of long ago could be going back into the story, which every good 
uh, Jew would say, all of the stories of the Old Testament are still living stories, and they're my stories still. Passover isn't something ancient, it's something living that continues. And so you go, well, he's looking back at the old stuff. It's Abraham, it's Isaac, it's Jacob. Or the days of long ago, the stuff from his youth, if he wrote this when he was older. And I will meditate on the things that you have done, your works, the stuff you've done with your hands, what you've moved. Remember, in the ancient world, there's not a physical world and spiritual world. It's all the stuff of God. It's not God. The chair's not God. You're not God. The tree's not God. But God is sustaining and moving and shaping all of that. We're actually going to see that very clearly in the book of Jonah. God brings up the storm. God makes the waves. God does the fish. God brings a plant. God brings a tiny worm. God is the one who is doing the things. And it is good for us to be challenged with that and reminded of that because my, uh, my modern Western mind goes, well, there's some stuff that's God's stuff, but the rest of it's just the physical. And that is such a disconnected view of God that invites God into things in prayer. God, could you please do such and such? When in reality, the right uh, mindset to have with this is that in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your poets say, Paul says to the pagans. And he rightly quotes a pagan poem to say that, that there isn't a thing in your life that God is like, oh man, I wish I could do something with that. I hope they invite me into it. All life. And so the psalmist is saying, I'm going to meditate on this. I'm going to do this. And so that is what my challenge is with this. So don't come to church without a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please grab a Bible from the back. It's, it's a thing of honor to grab a Bible. I can remember as a kid, like, it was like going to a rodeo and the people who had the bigger belt buckles had done cooler things with their lives. The bigger your Bible or your Bible case, right? But we have our Bibles on our phone, I know. Listen, interacting with your phone, not the same. It's not the same. So if you don't have a Bible, please take one. There's some cool ones with wide margins on the side that you can interact with. I had the joy of taking my daughters this week to buy a Bible. Get a Bible. Bring your Bible. Let's interact with it. Why? Bring your journal. If you don't have a journal, grab, grab some paper. Why? Because that's what David's talking about here. I will meditate on the things you've said, on the things you've done, on the days of old. How many of you have something that if you were to like shake your Bible like this, it would fall out, but it has meaning and significance? For some of us, it's the pages in there. We've, we've used this so much, the binding is barely hanging on. But others, it's a, it's a bulletin from, a, from a, a funeral in a really tough time. Or it's notes from one uh, retreat or one thing, and it was you just can't not have that. that. That is the this. It's the digging in. It's the thinking. It's the... And what is that? At the end of the day, it's this. It's changing our thoughts. Now, I know this is language from a different place for some of you in the room, but it's still just as true in this setting. 
you can only think about one thing at a time. For all that we talk about, about uh, multi-threading and uh, multitasking and, and, and dual core or quad core or all that stuff, you, physically you, can only have one thought at a time. And so if you find yourself stuck in a place of worry or anxiety or like King David, they're against me or they're doing this thing or they're saying this thing or I'm going to run into this at work or I have this in class. If you have that thing and you're like David going, God, do you even hear me? If you don't hear me, I'm doomed. Then Changing your thoughts is getting it into this place where we say, I will remember the days of long ago. I will meditate on all your works. I'll consider what you're... It's not avoiding the thing. It's just going, God, okay, this is... You need to reshape me. Now, this isn't a quick fix on those who deal with like anxiety or mental health issues or whatever. But even in those places, too many times in our lives, follower of Christ, we get to a clinical self-diagnosis of a thing that we may find healing for if we would just meditate in God's word and allow him to change our heart and change our thoughts. But we, we hover in that place. Man, I can't, even, even church world, I can't go to church. There's going to be people there. Somebody's going to talk to me. I have anxiety about people. And I know I'm poking on that, and it's not necessarily fair to do that, but it is such a given in our culture. I can't do that. That is not true. It might be tough. Sit on one of the barrel chairs in the back. And we have this. So the psalmist is saying, change your thoughts. All right, so this is beginnings. You've dropped some things out there, Jay, that were kind of a little, I'm not quite sure where you're going to go with that, but I like you, so let's, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's go. Ready? Got your Bible? Let's start with the start, the story of Jonah. 2 Kings chapter 14. The start of the start. Of the story of Jonah. Second Kings chapter 14, beginning in verse 23. This is so much fun. I would get such a bad grade if this was a preaching class. Second Kings chapter 14. You ready? Verse 23. Don't get stuck in the names. We're going to unpack them in a minute. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah. Pause. (laughs) Southern kingdom. We're at a point in the story of Israel. Let's just jump a few, get a visual, and then we'll jump back into this. Okay? We're at a point in 2 Kings chapter 14 that when you think of ancient Israel, it's easy to think of a ancient Israel, all of this, okay? West Bank, Golan Heights, Sea of Galilee is way up here, away from. But this whole thing, remember in your imaginations, like from here to Milwaukee. It's not big. It's not big at all. All of Israel, it, well, maybe a little bigger than that, Green Bay to Milwaukee. Think New Jersey, or don't but it's geographically about that big, okay? So even though Israel, if you're like me, occupies the whole of the globe in your imagination, because it's all of the stories I had when I was a kid, 
geographically, this is a very small place. And in fact, in the history of the world, this has International Coastal Highway. I don't think that's what they called it back in the day. But Egypt is here. Babylon is here. Assyria or Persia is up here. And this is, this is something you drive through. It's to go, it's not the center of the world. So when we think of ancient Israel, a lot of times, if, or at least I did when I was a kid, I would think of this just area, and most of it was Sea of Galilee stuff or Jerusalem and you know, whatever. But So here's, here's the quick history of this. So at the beginning of the kingdom of, or the nation of Israel, we've got the, the, the king, King Saul. And King Saul's all of what you would want in a king. He was handsome. He was tall. He was well-spoken. He came from a good family line. He had the blessing of the people who had influence. King Saul was the man. But see, what happened is King Saul wasn't... His heart became corrupt. And pretty quickly in the life of King Saul, his kingdom, his kingship, which goes through the family line, he commits treason towards God. And God, through the prophet, says, your line is done. And you might still be king with the crown, but you're not king with my sovereign authority. And then the prophet anoints a teenager named David. And so from there on, the royal lineage or the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel, is rests on David as king. And we would think, oh, that's great. Except David's line within one gener- two generations. So David has a son, and it's not a great story, but you could you know it. David has a son. His son's name Solomon, and Solomon's son. Well, while Solomon's king, there is division in the ten tribes from the north. Have one dude. We're going to see his name, Jeroboam. Go. You know what? We should be our own kingdom. And there becomes this division. And Solomon hears about the the rebellion and he goes after him and Jeroboam goes down and he hides in Egypt until uh, Solomon dies. And then when Solomon's son comes on, and his name's Rehoboam, just to keep it easy. That's his real name, Jeroboam, Rehoboam. Jeroboam's north, Rehoboam's south. Rehoboam like, goes after the people. He's like, hey, I'm going to be so hard on you. And they're like, fine, we don't want anything to do with you. And they make Jeroboam king. Jay, this is so boring where we pick up the story with 2 Kings chapter 14, the kingdom is split. And the, Judah is Jerusalem in the south, and Israel is the ten tribes to the north, and that's where we pick this up. Fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, the south. Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, that's the north, became king in Samaria, which was the capital. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, here we go. Sorry about that. That was all. Okay. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the first son of 
Nabat, who was the first which had, he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no help from anyone since the Lord had not, or since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Joash. You getting it? You got it? Jay, this is so just inspiring. I can't believe it. As for the other events of Jeroboam's reign, all he did, all his military achievements, including how he recovered for Israel, both Damascus and Hamath, which had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jeroboam rested with his ancestors and the kings of Israel, and Zechariah, his son, succeeded him as king. Okay, let's start with the start. That's this, right? Isn't this the start? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Isn't that the start? That's the start. That's the place where we start. The problem is, to continue in our nerdy, hopefully, we, we won't be in this place every week. Don't worry. Like, good. So if you're into archaeology and you were doing a study of an ancient culture and somebody gave you a pot, but they just gave it to you, and you knew it was super old, but they just gave it to you, and were like, here, tell me something interesting about the culture that this came from. You could tell some But the context that that was found in is critically important. What layer was this dug up from? Was it Bronze Age? Was it Iron Age? Was it late Bronze Age? Was it early Iron Age? Was it Stone Age? To just have a thing out of its context, it's very interesting. And it's beautiful and you can look at it in a museum. But outside of its context, you can make it say just about anything. And so the trouble with starting here, and again, we do it and we can do it and you can get the message, but the trouble with starting here is that we miss that Jonah is a villain of a prophet. He's not evil. He's a prophet who speaks for God to a king that is incredibly nationalistic, who is violent militarily, who 2 Kings 14 says is wicked and doesn't turn away from the sins of the one who started the division of the kingdoms. What does this have to do with anything? We're almost done. We live in a culture that says it doesn't matter who the person is, it's what they do. And that is not, not the gospel. So we're not going to get political along this way, but we are moving into politics. Listen, if, and I've said this, and I've had to repent of this myself. Yes, God uses wicked men and women in political positions to move his story forward. That doesn't mean he's blessing them or approving of what they've done. And so Jeroboam the first at the beginning of the divided kingdom is one of the worst of the worst of the kings of the northern Israel that eventually leads to their destruction of the Assyrians. And Jeroboam the second, who's not his son, but who is named after him. Do you know anyone named after Hitler? Probably not. 
So if you pick a villain and you name them after that, that's saying something. So Jeroboam II is king. And what is he king of? Well, he's the king who actually expands the northern kingdom, as was the word of the Lord. And so we could go, well, God blessed this, and God did move his story forward, and there's some interesting things on that. But he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, it says in verse 24. And he caused Israel to commit that evil. In verse 25, he expands the boundaries militarily, according to the word of the Lord, which is weird to think about. And it's Jonah is the one who is speaking those things to King Jeroboam II. Why? Well, we get it. Verse 26, the Lord saw how bitterly everyone was suffering, either a slave or a free. They were suffering. Nobody would help them. And so it would be wrong for Jeroboam II to be like, God's blessing me. I'm amazing. Look at all these things I'm doing. It has nothing to do with him. He's the tool that God is rescuing and blessing and saving and restoring his people through this wicked king. Now, what about Jonah? We don't have the messages of Jonah recorded anywhere except for the book of Jonah, which is very interesting. It's very interesting. Because we have the messages of Isaiah. We have chapter upon chapter upon chapter of the messages of Isaiah. We have, we have Jeremiah. We have Ezekiel. We have Amos. We have Joel. We have all of these other prophets who didn't even say good things, but they were recorded. And so we don't have this of Jonah. And so we're like, well, I don't know. What, what should we make of this? To those that were reading the story of Jonah, they would have, in their mind, been brought into a place where this wasn't a happy thought. This was somebody speaking to a wicked political leader who was telling them, yes, the word of the Lord, but it, was, it, it wasn't good. And we don't get Jeroboam II turns his heart from the Lord and turns all of the people back to God. That is not his story. So why, why, why begin here, Jay? What's, what's the deal? Is it just to be nerdy and justify buying a couple books? How we start matters. If we start here, we miss that at the beginning of this story, we are right away running into somebody who is not a hero. Yes, this is a prophet of God. Yes, this is somebody who's speaking God's word to a king. But the king is an evil king. And the king is not a king who turns himself back to God. And so there's a little bit of play in there. And hopefully you write something down and we could talk about this at the, at the, the cool Latin word thing. Can't even remember it. But Jonah isn't a hero guy to begin with in this. Let's land the plane. Jay's plane never even took off. I don't know about landing. Sorry, if this is just way too nerdy, we're not going to do this all the time. But it matters in how we read it. So this is from the commentary by uh, Dr. Allen says, It's obvious to the most casual reader of the minor prophets that the book of Jonah is quite different from the rest. 
The others are collections of oracles or prophecies. In Jonah, there occurs only one prophetic oracle consisting of five words in the original Hebrew. It's a different kind of literature from the others. There are many different literary types in the Old Testament, including laments, love songs, parables, apocalypses, and histories. Into what category does Jonah fall? This is not a purely academic question, but a basic one to understanding the book. See, the modern reader can only get it right if we understand what it was originally intended for. This is the worst place in the world to end a sermon. This is where we're ending. We're ending here because next week we're going to start unpacking the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city. Its wickedness has come before me. We're beginning in this place because it's super important for us. Listen, you can read the Bible and read it flat. Read it for just what it says. No other voices, no other anyone. And the Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus to you in that and through that. Through the revelation of Jesus, we are saved. Through his life and death and resurrection. You can do that. But see what happens, and I think you've seen this maybe even among your friends or felt this among yourself. If you grew up with a flat reading of Jonah that it was about the fish, you got to defend the fish, there reaches a point in our life of faith where the Bible just doesn't seem to connect anymore. And so my prayer and my goal in this, yes, it's to mess with us a little bit. But in doing that, we're going to not, it doesn't matter where you land on this, at the end of the day, there's not going to be a demand on make, believe this or this about it. Because the message is still going to come through on this. In more than any other book in all of the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, is the parable of the, good, uh, uh, the, parable of the prodigal sons, and it is the story of the gospel. The wholeness of the gospel, apart from the name Jesus, is contained in the book of Jonah. But when we make it about fish or a litmus test for miracles, we miss, we miss. Because if I were to have started this message and say, how many of you have read the book of Jonah or heard the story of Jonah, as Tim Mackey says this, most of our hands would go up. But then Mackey flips that question, a uh, scholar involved with the Bible Project. Mackey says, if I say, how many of you read this, we would, or how many of you have heard it, we'd say, yeah. But if the question was, how many of us have deeply dove into the book of Jonah and let its difficult themes and its, 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 its mirror reflection of the wickedness of my own heart, how many of us have done that how many of us have seen the God of grace and mercy and justice? How many of us have spent time, come into it, moved away from it, come back into it? I don't know that I would say I had. Because I, I know that story. Let's go to something else. And the danger in that is that, well, that we neuter the power of this. And also that some point in our lives of faith where we've been around this for a while, we move away and go, well, that's just kid stuff. 
The story recorded in the book of Jonah is not a kid's story. It's not a kid's story. There is such Hebrew nationalism in this story, it reeks. And it's justified. The atrocity and the horror we're going to see next week of the Assyrian Empire that God sends, well, that's a whole other. So don't worry. I know this is like big intro, like, okay, here we go. Even right now, this is, this is the stuff I wrote. This is on purpose. I am so excited to go through this. If only to steal another metaphor from Mackie to, to, to strip off, he says, the vegetation that's grown around this story because we make it a veggie tale story. And it's not. This isn't a morality story. This is the gospel. And man, it's going to hurt a little. But the beauty in this is that it is the intended chipping away that God, well, I think that he's worked into this story that's been there all along for us. Thanks. Thanks for listening. As we go through this, here's the theme, the tone. This isn't important because it's historical. It doesn't have value because we can point to the history of a story. This is true because God calls all of us. This is true because we know he's a God who is merciful and who saves. And he does it to our enemies too. This is true because we find ourselves at the end of our running in a place of death. And we have a choice. This is true because when we make a choice, God restores us. It's true because we often repent of our repentance. It's true. And so the goal in this is to move us beyond what is fact and remind us of what is true. And often those are the same. But it's an argument of that doesn't always let God work in us in the most deep ways. And so I invite you to come back. Pick up a book if you want to pick up the book. Write down some questions. Let's process and sort this through. But at the end of it, these biggest challenges to us are going to be a mere that I know God has some cool things to do for us and in us through. Thanks for coming this morning. Have a great week. See you next time.